Christians have had is their symbol that obviously has been important to Christianity since, since, the, since the day of its inception, that Jesus died. That, that's a central thing to Christianity. If you're not a Christian, you've heard that Jesus died on the cross. You've maybe even seen movies about it. You've probably even heard some of the types of things that uh, Mr. Hitchens was talking about, about uh, why Jesus died of uh, substitution and sacrifice and vicarious redemption and some of those things that, that he was talking about. Um, everybody knows Jesus died, but why did Jesus die? That's a really important question, whether you have been a Christian for, for many years or if you're just exploring Christianity tonight. And you may have heard the reasons why he died. One of the, one of the reasons the Bible gives is because God loves us. And maybe you've heard that. God loves you so much that Jesus died for you. You may have heard that kind of thing. But what does that really mean? And why, why, why did he have to die to show that? And how is that, how is that love that he died? I mean, there's a lot of different types of ways that you can ask that question, but, but central to Christianity is that there's a guy named Jesus that died on a cross, and that is what everything hinges upon. But why? Why is that so important? Why is it so important that this guy died? And, and if one of the claims that the Bible makes is it's because God loves you, what does that even mean? So this guy died for me because he loves me, and how is that for me? And how, how is Jesus dying for me? I mean, these are some of the types of questions that we'll look at tonight. Why did Jesus die? And what I want to talk about tonight is because it's love, that's one of the major reasons the Bible gives. Jesus died for you because of love. But how is that love? How is that love? And there's, there's a book written by a, a pastor in Minneapolis. Um, his name is John Piper, and he has a book called 50 Reasons Jesus Died. So there's a lot of reasons that Jesus died, but... But tonight we're going to talk about probably the most common one that people talk about, which is love. But how is that love? I don't think we should just take for granted that Jesus dying is love. How is it love? And, and here's, here's kind of what I, I, um, I want to, to argue for tonight or to help us see. If we don't see the cross as love, I don't think we'll really ever understand what love actually is. We won't understand what it means that God loves us, and we won't know how to love other people. So if we don't understand what it means when the Bible says, Jesus died for you because God loves you, we won't ever really know what the true meaning of love is. We won't know how to really love other people, and we won't know what it means that God loves us, which is a nice thing to say, and it's a nice thing to feel, but, but what does that actually mean? So this is, what we'll, this is what we'll talk about tonight. And to understand why it is that the cross is an expression of God's love. We're going to just focus in on this one verse. There's many verses in the Bible that talk about this, but this is from the letter to at the church in Rome that Paul wrote, and here's, here's what he says. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, I know there's a lot of words in there, and I'll explain what this means. But, but to start with, if we want to say, okay, the, the cross means, Jesus dying means that God loves us, 
here's, here's what we have to understand. First, we have to understand who it is that we are, who, who the Bible says that we are. And, and here's what this verse says. It says, while we were still sinners and while we were enemies. So it says that in relation to God, that everybody starts off as a sinner and as an enemy. And I know that kind of sounds harsh. I mean, most people don't view themselves as an enemy of God. But what the Bible teaches is that we start off as people that are sinners and enemies to God. And, and here's, the Bible explains this in a lot of different ways, okay? But, but here, here's a way that I think is really helpful to understand when it, when it comes to this idea, because I, I don't think most of us would say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm totally an enemy of God. And most people don't believe that. Most people wouldn't say that. And most people don't even like the term sinner, because what does that mean? I'm a sinner? Here's, here's what the Bible means when it talks about this. It means that we love other things more than God. And isn't that true? I mean, I think everybody can admit to that. And why is that so bad? Why, why does that mean that we're an enemy? Or why does that mean that we're a sinner? Well, it, if you put it in relational terms, it's a lot easier to understand. See, if you think that being a sinner is just someone that breaks the rules, or you think being an enemy is somebody that is just a, a big, giant rule breaker, then you probably wouldn't view yourself like that. But if you think of God as actually a person, if you think, okay, there's actually this being who is God and who made me and who loves me, how have we treated that God? I mean, think about it just with any other relationship that we have. I remember talking with a guy that said he uh, had been a Christian for many, many years and he he, he just kind of had this revelation. I think his phone bill came in or something like that, and he, he looked at his phone bill and the thousands and thousands of minutes that he had talked to different friends and um, family in, in this country and then in other countries he had family, and he was looking at his phone bill of just the thousands of minutes that he had spent talking to people over the course of the month and then just kind of had this revelation of, I say I love God more than anything, and if I were to compare the minutes I've talked to him and the minutes I talked to friends and family, it'd be, be a much smaller phone bill if we got charged for talking to God. I don't think God's collecting dollars for that. But the idea with that is that if we treated God the way we treat any other relationship, what would that be like? Or maybe think about it this way. Because again, I don't think, it's, I don't think we commonly think, oh yes, I'm a sinner, or I'm an enemy of God. Um, if you were a parent, and maybe you are a parent, and you had a child, and you love that child perfectly, and I, I know some of you probably had bad parents, and parents that didn't love you well, and parents that mistreated you, but let's say you had parents, or let's say you were the parent, and, and maybe if you had bad parents especially, you probably want to be an even better parent when you have a child, and you're going to go, man, I'm going to love this child, I'm going to give them everything I got, I'm going to create them, and then I'm going to love them with the deepest love possible. And so you have this child, and you love them, right? You, I mean, Toys R Us is the second, you know, that you go there all the time. Um, what, you, you just, you teach them everything that you know. You hug them and kiss them, and you just love them. And then that child says, hey, I just, I'm going to go hang out at these people's house instead. 
and they're never home. And they're just, they don't return the love. They say, yeah, I know you love me. I know you created me. I know that you want good for me, but I'd rather not hang out with you. And they spend all their time at another parent's house, their friend's parent. And they just always hang out at that family's house. And they even, let's say the house is close to you and you can, you can kind of see it through the window. And they're all, they love it over there and they're having fun over there all the time and they're, they enjoy it over there. And you're like, what? I, I love this child. They're my child. I made them. They're not necessarily breaking all the rules. They're not necessarily doing all, they're not necessarily throwing rocks through your windows. They're just ignoring you. They're just rejecting you. Or think about it in, a, in terms of a relationship, whether a marriage or a dating relationship. If, you, um, if you're married and your spouse said, look, I'm not going to do anything bad to you. I'm not going to beat you. I'm not going to call you names. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do anything bad to you, except I'm going to love another man's wife instead of you. Just that. I'm not going to really love you. I'm going to have another relationship over here where I pour out my time and my affection and my energy. and my. And that's where I'm really going to enjoy life. So, I mean, these are some of the images that the Bible says. See, the Bible says God's our Father. It says that, um, it says that, that, that uh, God, God created people. God created the church to be his bride. And yet what happens is we live as enemies to God, which means we live as people that reject him and ignore him relationally. I mean, just again, think about if we treated other people the way we treat God, what would, what would that be like? And maybe you say, well, I don't treat God badly at all. Right, but we can just ignore him. That's how we can be an enemy to God. I mean, think, just try to put yourself even in God's shoes, if God has shoes. Try to put yourself in God's shoes. That you create these people. And you say, I love it. I mean, if you could do this, right? If somehow you could create something and go, okay, you, I've now created you and I love you, and, I, and the Bible says God makes us in his image, which means he actually imprints his nature into us. And okay, here you are. And then that thing just, it had life, and it then just said, okay, see you later. And wait a minute, I just, I made you, I created you. You're mine, and I'm good, and that, that's what we do to God. So that, that's what the Bible means when it says that we're enemies or that we're sinners. It, it, sinners can mean that we do bad things and we just, it can mean that. But I want, I want us to think about it in relational terms because that's how the Bible talks about it a lot is that we just ignore him and we kind of just do our own thing. We just live our own life and he's this person over here that's a good person. That's the most loving, perfect being ever and we just kind of walk away from him and do our own thing. So that's who the Bible says that we are. That's our starting point, every one of us, with God. That's our starting point with God, is that we're enemies. So when the Bible says that God loved us, it makes it all the more powerful of a kind of love in that it doesn't say, you are so lovely and so wonderful and God loves you. I mean, that's what we all do, right? 
I mean, if there's somebody that is lovely and amazing, we go, I love that person, of course. But if somebody is your, I mean, I don't, do you have any enemies? If you have any enemies, how do you feel about them? Or if anyone views you as an enemy, how do they feel about you? Well, so the Bible says that we are enemies to God, but that God loves us. So see, if we understand rightly who we are, it changes God's love. If we just think, I'm the most lovely person in the universe, God loves you. Well, of course he does. Who wouldn't? Then it's a, we don't, we're kind of missing the point. But the Bible says we're enemies of God, and God says, I love you. So that's a lot different, right? So why is it that the cross, why is it that what Jesus did on the cross is that God loves us? Well, first we have to understand who we are. That the Bible says we're enemies and God loved us. But, but that's not it. It's also what, what he did. And the first thing that we see is it says God shows his love. Now this is interesting because it, it doesn't just say God is sitting up in heaven and says, I love you. Right? It doesn't just say God is up there and feels kind of tender, affectionate thoughts towards us. But it says that God shows his love. What that means is that God pursues us. He goes after us, which is often the hardest part in love. Right? Taking the first step towards somebody, especially if they're an enemy. I mean, when's the last time you got in a fight with somebody? Small fight, big fight. Or maybe you have relational conflict with somebody right now. Maybe they're sitting next to you. The hardest step is the first step, right? And that's why people don't pick up the phone. That's why people gossip. Because it's easier to talk about the person than to go to them. It's why people give the other person the cold shoulder. Because often the hardest part in love is taking that first step towards someone, right? I mean, I know that if my wife and I get in an argument, we both said something that we shouldn't have said to one another, and she's in this room, and I'm in this room, the hardest step is just that, okay, I'm going to go walk towards her. That's the hardest step. So the Bible says that we are enemies of God, and God doesn't say this which is sometimes what we do. God doesn't say, look, I love you. And if you come to me, if you come to me, then we can talk about it. Hey, I love you. You're my enemy. And I still, look, you're my enemy and I still love you. That's how good of a person I am. You're my enemy. I still love you. And if you're willing to come to me, then we can talk about it. Then we can heal the relationship. It's not what it says. It says that God took steps towards us. I mean, that's what Jesus, God, came down to this earth and took steps towards us. So it says the world, all of us, that we're enemies towards God. But God says, I'm coming towards you. I'm pursuing you. I'm taking the first step. I'm picking up the phone. I'm walking into the other room. I'm not giving you the cold shoulder. I'm not going to just talk trash about you. I'm going towards you. That's what, that's what the Bible says that God does to us. That's what, that's what Jesus coming to this earth is about. Is that the world has problem with God, that we're enemies with God, but that God says, I'm moving towards you. 
Now, that's difficult for any of us, right? And it makes it all the more difficult the more that we feel we're in the right and the other person's in the wrong, right? And I said feel, because you might be totally wrong. But the more you feel that you are in the right, if you feel I am in the right and they are in the wrong, that makes it all the more harder to walk towards that person, right? Because we think, well, I didn't do anything. They did it. They should come tell me they're sorry. The more that we feel we're right, and the more we feel the other person is wrong, the harder it is to move towards them. So think about it from God's perspective. He doesn't just feel he's right. He knows he's right. And he is not just right. He's 100% perfect and holy and didn't do anything to us. We are 100% wrong and imperfect. And yet, God is still the one that takes the step towards us. He's still the one that moves towards us. He's still the one that says, I'm not okay with there being a broken relationship. I'm not okay with that. I want there to be a good relationship between us. That's what the cross shows us, is that Jesus moved towards us. And let me say this, this is what he's still doing. So whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, this is how God still operates. You think, well, how? When has he done that to me? Jesus came a couple thousand years ago. When has God pursued me? When has God took, taken a step towards me? Well, maybe he's doing that right now. I mean, we're, this, is, this is the Bible. This is a TV screen. This is the Bible. This is, this, is, this is the Bible projected onto a TV screen. And this is God's word. And part of how God pursues us is through speaking to us, and he may be doing that to your heart right now well, yeah, but I'm the one that walked into church. Why'd you walk into church tonight? I just kind of had a feeling. Oh, oh, okay. Or maybe you saw a sandwich board sign or you saw, I mean, people come in here for the weirdest reasons. We're not cool. <laughs> but, but that's God pursuing you. That's God pursuing you. Maybe you had a friend that invited you. That's God pursuing you through that friend. That's how the Bible says that God pursues us. That God pursues us. Not, I mean, I was talking to somebody um, this week, and he was just saying that he had all these different factors in his life of this friend invited me, and these neighbors moved next to me, and this person, and it's like, what is going on? God's just pursuing you. That's what he still does. That's what he is doing right. So even if you're already a Christian, that's how God works now. Because there's probably parts in your heart where you are acting as an enemy of God. There's probably parts in your heart where you're stubborn and you feel like I want to do my own thing and I love this thing and you still operate as an enemy of God. And God is not going, when you get over it, Come talk to me. No, God is still pursuing. Even, even after becoming a Christian, even after you say, I don't want to be your enemy, God. I want to be in your family. I want to be in relationship with you. Our hearts start to still turn back towards being an enemy. And God still goes, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. He goes after us all the time. And we can resist over and over and over and over again and say, God, leave me alone. We can do that all the time, can't we? But he's, he, God's always the one taking the first step. 
and he will try to get your attention. What, what, I mean, God is, here's what I know. God is pursuing everybody in this room right now. And some of you are fighting even right now as I talk. I mean, you're, you're hearing these things and going, get away! And God goes, no, I'm going to keep coming after you. And I'm going to remind you. And I'm going to bring a friend into your life to bug you. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that because I'm going to come after you. That's what God does. That's what the cross shows. The cross shows that Jesus, God, came to this earth and said, I'm coming after you. But that's how he still works now. That's how he still works now. But that's not all he does. He doesn't just say, I'm coming after you. Because there's a problem between us, right? So we're sinners. We're enemies of God. We love other things instead of God. We've got this great God that says, I love you and I made you. And we go, that's nice. See you later. And he says, I'm not okay with that. I'm coming after you. But then once he comes after us, what is it that, what does he do? Because there's still a relational problem. There's still a problem between us and God. Remember, it said we're enemies. So how does that get fixed? How does it get fixed? How does it get fixed in a human relationship? I mean, if someone's your enemy, how does it get fixed in a, in a human relationship? If somebody has done something against you, how does it get fixed? Well, it's forgiveness, right? And so some people say, well, can't God just forgive? Again, what's with the cross? Why, why can't he just, I mean, if you did something against me, I wouldn't make you go, like, kill a goat for it. I wouldn't make you die on a cross for it and then say, hey, if you make it back to life, then, then we're good. So what's with the cross? Like, why can't God just forgive? Why can't God just forgive? Why can't he just say, okay, look, I came after you. As long as you say everything, as long as you admit that you're in fault, I just cancel it. Because here's what the Bible says. It says that Christ died for us. It says that we are justified. That word means that we're made right. So we're made right with God by his blood. It says that we were enemies, but we're reconciled to God by the death of his son. So why that? Why blood? Why death? Why? Why? Why can't he just forgive us? Why can't he just call it, call it good? I mean, the fact is this, nobody just forgives anything. We don't usually think about it like that, but nobody can just forgive anything. Here's what I mean. I mean, if you came up here because you hated the sermon or something and you just tipped over this table and smashed this candle and threw the bread out the window and you happen to have a chainsaw and you cut this table in half, I mean, if you actually have a chainsaw, that, that'd be kind of sweet. But, so you cut the table in half, whatever. You break the TV and, and, then, and then you say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? So I can forgive you, but somebody still has to absorb the cost of that stuff, right? So I can forgive you and say, I forgive you, now I need some money. Or I can say, I forgive you, and I'm going to absorb the cost of it, and I'll pay for it. But either way, somebody still has to absorb the cost of what's been broken, right? I mean, I don't just say, I forgive you, and then it just magically fixes itself. Somebody always has to absorb the cost. That, I mean, that's true with, I mean, just, I mean, that's easier to understand with actual physical things, but just even relationally. 
I mean, if somebody's been bad-mouthing you and talking trash about you, and you call them on it, and they go, oh man, what have I done? There's a cost. Because you can either then say, okay, I forgive you, and now I'm going to talk trash about you. And that will even it out. Because you've lost in reputation. Your reputation, or you can absorb it and just go, I'm going to eat the cost. I'm going to eat the cost. I'll let it happen. I'll absorb, I'll absorb the relational damage that you've done to me. There's always a cost, and forgiveness always absorbs the cost. If you really forgive somebody, you absorb some sort of cost. It might be actual financial, it might be relational, it might be just an emotional thing. I mean, if somebody's betrayed you, and then you allow them back into your life, you're absorbing a cost of trust, which is difficult. There's always a cost, and forgiveness absorbs the cost. But the Bible teaches this, we're enemies of God, and the cost of that is separation from him forever, and it's physical, actual death. That's the cost, the Bible says. So somebody's got to, so God can forgive us, but somebody still has to absorb that cost. And that's what the Bible says that Jesus did. That's what it says he did on the cross, that he says, I come towards you, and I'm going to take the cost. And that's, that's what the cross is. You, you look at the cross, and Jesus physically crucified, nails through his hands and nails through his feet, and whipped and beaten. He absorbed the physical cost that we should have, but, but that's not it. He absorbed the spiritual cost. So on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus and God the Father had perfect relationship. But in that moment, he was separated from him. Which is what we all deserve. Because that's what we want, actually. Again, we, we say, I don't, you know, I want to choose other loves, I want to go do this. But we deserve that going on forever and ever and ever and ever. Freely chosen. But on the cross, Jesus took both. And Christopher Hitchens, in his video, makes a really good point. Because he says, that doesn't make any sense. In fact, he says, it's immoral. It's immoral that God would just tell everybody, you're forgiven. But what he's not understanding is that if the sin is against God himself, then God can do that, just like we can do that in a personal relationship. Because God doesn't just say, hey, all the bad things that you've done are forgiven. He says, I'm going to pay for them, and primarily the bad things that you've done are against me. You're my enemy first. So why is the cross love? It's love because it shows that God pursues us, and it's love because... He absorbs the cause that we should pay. Here's what this means. It means that if you feel guilty, you could admit that you are and not have to be afraid. 
See, the world we live in says guilt's bad, guilt's bad, don't feel guilt, guilt is wrong, guilt's bad, get rid of your guilt, you're okay. No, you're not. I mean, the Bible says you're an enemy and you're a sinner and the guilt you feel is there because we're guilty. But it says there's something that can be done with your guilt. It says there's something that can be done with your guilt, that, that you can bring your guilt and say, either I've got to pay this or Jesus is going to pay it. Jesus, will you pay it? That's the song we sang, Jesus paid it all. So again, here's what this means. It means if you feel guilty, you don't have to just deny it. You can do something with it. You can bring it to Jesus, and he says, I'll forgive it, which means we don't have to fight. We, we don't have to fight so hard to say, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. We can say, I'm not okay. And Jesus says, yeah, and I'll forgive it. And here's, here's the thing. Some people look at that and go, too good to be true. Too good to be true. Why would God just forgive me? He won't. He will not just forgive you. He will pay for it and then forgive you. It's a big difference. Sometimes people think it's too good to be true because it feels like God's just letting us off the hook and we know that's not how the world works. And it's not. God says, I don't just forgive you. I don't just let it go. I pay for it myself. I absorb the cost myself. This means that we can admit our guilt, means we can admit our sin, and it means that we can, means we can trust God. Do you struggle to trust God? Maybe you, maybe you know that you do, and maybe you don't think you do. Maybe you think you trust God, but are you living your life saying, God, whatever you want, that's what I want to do? Are you living your life saying, God, speak to me, and that's how I'm going to live my life? See, if we look at the cross, we can trust him because it means he literally gave us everything. It means there's nothing more that he could give us. Well, well I, what about this prayer? I asked him to give me this, and yeah, but if somebody gives you themselves, if somebody gives you their very life, what more could they give you? It means anything that they're not giving you, then it's only because they love you. I mean, think, think about it. If, if you came to me and I gave you $10 million, I don't have this, but if, so don't ask. But if I gave you $10 million, okay, I gave you $10 million, something that cost me a lot, and, and that's all I had. Let's say I only had $10 million, so I gave you everything. And then you come to me the next day and go, can I have a penny? And I said, no, you should trust me enough to know that the penny I have is poisonous or something, right? The, I, don't, I don't know where the analogy was going to end, but it, there's a reason I'm not giving it to you, right? Like I only have poison pennies. I'm sorry, right? I mean, if I, the point is if I would give you $10 million and then you're asking me for a penny, obviously I wouldn't hold back a penny from you because I don't love you. I already gave you $10 million. I already, I already, or, or think about it even, I mean, Jesus gave us everything. So it's, it's more like if you came to me and said, hey, I'm in need, I can't, I can't pay rent and I don't have any money and I sold my house and I sold my car and I sold my clothes and got clothes from Goodwill and then I, I mean, I just gave everything to help you. And then you said, 
hey, um, I'm just not sure if, if you love me. I mean, that wouldn't make any sense, right? But most of us struggle with trusting God. Is he really good? Does he really want my good? And again, you might consciously think those thoughts, or you might not think them at all, but, but you're living them by saying, I want to do my own thing. God says, I want you to do this. Uh, I don't know if that might not, uh, I don't know if I would like that. Which means we're saying, I don't know if you really are for my good. I don't know if you really are for me. But he's already literally given you everything he could give you. There's nothing more he can give. You can't give anything more than your very life to somebody. So the cross says that God loves us because it shows that he pursues us. It shows that he was willing to pay the ultimate cost for us. But not just that. Here's why. It says more than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Here's what this is saying. God doesn't just say, I forgive you, now get out of my face. Which we've probably done that to somebody. You've kind of said, okay, we're good, it's done, now get away from me, I never want to see you again. That's not what God says, though. He says, I forgive you, and I want you in my family. That's what reconciliation is, right? Reconciliation is a relationship coming back together. That God says, we were in broken relationship. I go after you. I pay the ultimate cost to get you. And I'm saying, I want you. I want you in my family. God doesn't just say, I forgive you. I let it go. Now let's move on. He says, I forgive you and I want you in my family. He says, I forgive you, and I want you to be my friend. He says, I forgive you, and I want you to be my child. He says, I forgive you, and I love you. I want you. That's better than just, I forgive you. No harm, no foul. It's better than just, it's all right, neither of us will mention it again. It's I forgive you, but the whole reason I'm forgiving you, the whole reason I'm pursuing you, the whole reason I'm going after you, is because I want a relationship with you. I think that was an amen. I'm going to show you a video that I think um, illustrates this well. And then I'll come back up. Uh, hi, my name's Hunter. Um, addiction was a, a real problem with me as a child, uh, all the way up through my adolescence and into my early 20s. Uh, not just a chemical addiction, but also a social addiction and the need to fit in. Uh, I felt neglected. I, uh, I didn't know where to turn, what to do. I just continued to use and hang out and continue to hurt people to fill that void because if they felt my suffering, 
I felt like I was filling that void as well. And it, it wasn't filling it in the end. Um, I continued to think, you know, maybe there wasn't a God. Maybe all these bad things kept happening to me because there was only evil in the world. I, uh, I wound up in jail a few times. Uh, the charges vary from petty offenses to misdemeanors. When I didn't get what I wanted out of that, I would revert right back to my old angry ways. And uh, I almost caught a felony eluding charge once, running and trying to fight with the police, which is a very bad idea. No matter how badass you think you are, you're not as badass as six cops. I wasn't even spiritual, really. And as I started my business, I asked a few of my friends to come support me, come to my grand opening, and they did, without question. So my friend Eric, he, uh, he had come to the grand opening, and he started a couple weeks prior to that going to True Life, and, and he said, man, you should come, you should come. And for weeks, I told him, nah, man, I'm not, I, I don't need to go to church. I don't like church. I tried that before. It doesn't work. Uh, my view of God in the past uh, was basically an it year in or year out. And there was no salvation for what I had done. Uh, and he finally said, hey, bro code man, I came to support you without question. I want you to come support me and my experience of finding Jesus in my spirituality. I said, all right, I'll be there. And that was the lock for me. I had realized at that point that I had been suffering from a loss of connection with the Father and our Savior. Yeah, God had, I believe he had reached down and said, look, you're going in the wrong direction. You need to, you need to have a talk with me. And uh, I think without any words or anything, it was just that feeling, you know, that was just not the way to go about life. And after going to one community group, I realized what I had been missing. I saw togetherness and happiness and uh, a submission to a higher power that really brought joy in people's lives and brought them together for a purpose. It was good friends getting together, sharing food, breaking bread, as they say in the Bible. Uh, and to me, that always signified family. And it gave me a real sense of being home, something I also I have been searching for since my youth. I didn't know there was a way back. I didn't know that Jesus had already taken on the sacrifice of drinking my cup of poison to absolve me of my sins. I realized what I had been missing in my, my entire life was Jesus. And I immediately knew what I needed salvation uh, needed to be saved uh, so uh, Caleb had emailed me asked if I wanted to grab a cup of coffee said yeah uh, we could talk about Jesus and, and he would answer any questions that I might have so we met up for coffee and I really only had one question uh, who is Jesus and what can he do for me but I really learned that, you know, I gotta bring it back to the cup. Uh, 
Jesus told us that he was here to drink our sins and take all the badness away. And it was his choice of a sacrifice. And when I heard that, all the guards were let down. It wasn't wasn't what I expected and it was more than what I could have hoped for. And at that point, I, uh, I asked Caleb if we could step outside to pray. And I prayed for thanks for him taking on all, all my sin for me and I could really trust him as a friend. I, uh, I really got to know Jesus that day. So that's, uh, that's my friend Hunter, and he's getting baptized on Easter. And uh, I, thought, I thought that, uh, yeah. I wanted to share that because it, it illustrates exactly what we're talking about, that Jesus, that Jesus saves people because he loves them. And he doesn't just save them. He doesn't just forgive them. He then brings them into his family and says, I've got a home for you. I've got a home for you. I mean, that's the whole reason that we exist as a church. I mean, it's the whole reason we started this church is because we believe that Jesus really, really loves people, that God really, really loves people. And here's the thing, okay? Most people that you talk to would say, I believe in a God of love. Most people would say that, right? Most people don't say, I believe in a God of hate. I've never talked to anybody that says that. If, I mean, I think it's 95% of the country believes in God and I would say probably 95% of those people are going to say, I believe in a God of love. But if you believe in a God of love that is not this God, that is not real love. And here's why, here, here's why I say that. Because what's the truest form of love? It's sacrifice. Everybody knows that. I mean, that's not, that's not just a biblical idea. Everybody knows that the truest form of love is sacrifice. It's true in a human relationship. If we both want to go to the same restaurant, we want to go to different restaurants, and I say, I love you, so I'll get rid of my restaurant and go with you. Silly example. That's love, though. We know that. Obviously, it's a lot bigger if I say, I'll give my life for you, I'll die for you, but no other God does that. If you believe in a God of love, and it's just kind of this being in the sky. That is not, that's not even the truest form of human love. All it is, is is a God that's polite or a God that feels nice about you or a God that has great manners or a God that's a Girl Scout. I mean, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a God that's friendly. It's not real. I mean, we know that on a human level, real love, true love is sacrifice. So if you say, I believe in a God of love, has that God sacrificed for you? Only, only the God of the Bible has said that he sacrificed for you. And, and the second thing that we know about true love is that it gives itself. I mean, that's why in marriage, people don't say, I will give you lots of money. I will give you, they say, they look at one another and they say, I'm giving you myself. What God has done that? Don't say you believe in a God of love unless you believe in this God. I'm just telling you, because it's not real love. Say you, let's just change the language and say, I believe in a God of nice. 
That's fine. But, I mean, even human love, we know, is sacrificial love and self-giving love. The Bible says that that's this God. That's where the idea of a God of love came from, just so you know. But then it got warped and twisted, and people said, yeah, God of love, that sounds nice, and then got rid of all this. But this is real love. This is real love. And it's a love that, that changes people. So he, he, here's my point for tonight. You are loved by God. The measure of God's love is seen in how unworthy we are of that. How much he pursued us, the great cost that he paid, and the great gift that he gives of reconciliation. God loves you. God loves you. Every sin in your life Every doubt in your life, every relational conflict with you have, that you have with another person is from not believing that. See, when we look at the cross, we see that God loves us, that he pursued us, that he paid a sacrifice and forgives us, and that he gives us the best gift possible. He brings us into relationship with himself. Every sin in your life is because you don't really believe that. Every doubt you have about God is because you don't really believe that. And every conflict with you have with another person is because you don't really believe that. I, I can say that because if you saw God loves me, that changes you. That's why I said at the beginning, even if you've been a Christian forever, this is the secret to everything. This, I mean, this is the secret to everything else in your life. You, you can't really know what love is apart from seeing it here. You can't really love other people without this coming into your heart and changing you such that you pursue other people, you sacrifice for other people, you want other people's best. Unless you see, that's been done to me. This is, this is the deepest ache in our heart. It's to be loved. And the deepest ache in all of our hearts is to be loved. You might not wake up every morning thinking that or feeling that, but look, listen, that's, that's why in a relationship, a lot of times people wait a long time and it's a really powerful thing to say to another person, I love you, because we don't want to just give that away to anybody, right? It's why if you, growing up, I don't know what your parents were like, but I know a lot of people, and I'm, I meet with people all the time that say, my dad didn't ever look at me and say, I love you. I don't know if I ever heard those words. I have heard those words maybe twice from my dad, people will say. To have somebody look at you and say, I love you. See, that's the ache in our hearts. To be loved. That, I mean, have you seen Birdman? That was the best picture winner. The opening quote in that movie, opening quote in that movie was this. So it starts with this. This is the opening scene, and, and this is a quote by an author Raymond Carver, who the play is based on, I won't get into all that, but, but it says this, and did you get what you wanted from this life even so? I did. And what did you want? 
to call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. What do you want from life? What is it that you want from life? To be loved, to call myself beloved, to know that I'm loved. That's the ache in all of our heart and we search for it everywhere. It's why we want to fit in. It's why we want to be successful. It's why, it's why if all else fails, we just go self-love, right? I mean, why do you think there's such a huge movement in our country of self-love? Because we crave it. We crave to be loved. And, and the final option is, if you can't get it somewhere else, just love yourself. And, and does that work? People that have tried that for a long time know it doesn't work. Because sure, it's nice to love yourself, but we, that's not all we want. I mean, who wants to just live through life going, well, I love myself? I mean, that's denial, okay? No one marries themselves. No one looks in the mirror and is happy every day just because they say they love themselves. You want someone else to look at you and say, I love you. Okay, well, the Bible says the God of the universe does that. The Bible, says, the Bible says that the deepest ache in our heart is to be loved and that in Jesus, we get that more than we could have asked for. That he literally pushed aside every obstacle, our own sin, our own enemy heart, heaven and earth, to get to us to say, I love you. That's what we can only hope. I mean, that's what we want that's why, that's why there's chick flicks, and that's why there's, I mean, that, that's why there's all these things that people are, they, they, we feel this ache of, we want to be loved. That's for, some guys like those too, but for guys, it's why we love sports and war movies. You don't connect that to being loved, but here's what you connect it to, victory. Somebody going after something and willing to put everything on the line to get a prize. Well, the Bible says that that's what Jesus does for us. There's a reason those things resonate in our heart. Because God says we're made in his image. We want someone that's willing to put everything down on the line to win the best prize. And Jesus says, I'm going to win you. And we want someone that's willing to be the better Ryan Gosling that in the notebook runs up to us and grabs us, right? I don't, I mean, I don't want that, but... I'm trying to give guy analogy, girl analogy, okay, or whichever. There's a lot of guys that love the notebook too. Not judging. Kind of am, but not going to say I am. That's what, that's what the Bible says God does. That he wants to move everything out of the way so that you can know he loves you. And that's a love that changes everything. I mean, if you see that love, if you see that God loves you like that, what does that do to your heart? I mean, just think about it. If you really felt like that, what would it do to your heart? You'd love him, and you'd love other people. It would just flow out of you. You wouldn't be able to contain it. One of the most uh, famous kind of theologians, people that write about the Bible and ideas from the Bible. His name is Karl Barth, and he was asked, in all your years of studying theology, in all your years of studying the Bible, what's the greatest truth you've ever learned? 
And he just quoted the children's song and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Because that truth has the power to radically change our entire lives. If you're not a Christian, what I want you to know is that God loves you. Not a mushy love, but a love that was willing to pursue you as an enemy and lay his life down for you and give you himself and save you. And if you're a Christian, is your, is your heart warm to that or is it cold to that? Like if you've been a Christian for a long time, do you hear all this and go, okay, whatever? Why? Why? If you've been a Christian for a long time, why when you hear these truths, can your heart still be cold and you just go, okay, great, God loves me? Why? I mean, the word of God, God, God himself right now is saying, I love you. That is the most powerful truth in the world, but if it hits your heart as cold, what's going on? And I would plead with you, ask God to melt your heart if that's where it's at. Because this is the most powerful truth in the world. It's simple. Jesus loves me. Yeah, it's simple. It's simple, but it's simple like an atom is simple, that everything else in life is composed of it. Small doesn't mean that it's not life-altering. This is the only truth that has the power to change your life. So, if this is a new truth to you, embrace it and enjoy it. And if it's an old truth to you, but it feels stale and cold, then what I would ask you is when you take communion, ask God to melt your heart. See, the Bible teaches that Jesus died for us to show us his love. And we see that it's love because he pursued us. Because he was willing to pay the greatest cost, his own life, his own spiritual separation from God in those moments. And willing to bring us into right relationship with himself. This is what we remember when we take communion. That Jesus' blood was shed to love us. That his body was broken to love us. That he literally gave us his life to love us. And I don't, I mean, I, I just know, and I feel like, and I'm, if your heart is cold to this, there's nothing I can do to change that, but I can ask you to talk with God about it. If your heart is cold to that, I can ask you, there's nothing else. And, and if you're not a Christian, or if you're just exploring God, Jesus gave his life for you. He gave his life for you because he loves you. And all you have to do is say, I want that. And that's what it means to become a Christian. Just like Hunter was talking about there, it's to say, God save me. I've been an enemy. I've been an enemy. Didn't know I was an enemy. Maybe you didn't even know, but God, I've lived as an enemy. But I want you to save me. I want to be in your family. I want to know your love. And when that enters your heart, I'm telling you, it changes you. 
And like this line says at the end, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do when we sing. We say, he loved me. I mean, don't, that's what, I mean, everybody sings love songs, right? So that's what we do. We sing. Go, he loved me. He loved me. He loves me. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion and remember how much he loves us. And then we're going to sing songs. And if you're a Christian, we give tithes and offerings to say, God, you love me. You gave me everything. You gave me everything. And I want to give so that other people know that love. And if you're not a Christian, I don't want, we don't want any of your money. We want you to know Jesus. But as Christians, when God's love hits our heart, we go, we want other people to know that love. Let me pray. God, we don't even know what love is without looking at you. Thank you, Father, for such amazing love. Thank you, Jesus, that you died, that you gave us your life so that we could have true life with you. God, I know there's people in here that don't know you. I know there's people that say they know you that live with a, an apathetic sense of your love. And I, I pray, God, for both, for both people. Please make your love real to their heart. If not through these words, then God, through the singing. If not through the singing, then through some conversation that happens. God, I know you are pursuing people. Thank you for doing that. God, thank you for saving people. Thank you for saving Hunter. Lord, thank you for bringing him into your family, into this family. And God, we pray, we ask that your love would fill our hearts. Let your love fill our hearts. Let us not be cold to your love. Let us not be stale to your love. But let your love fill our hearts. And let that empower us to love everyone else. In your name, Jesus, we pray.